Good morning, church. Um, I'm the well, this is, sorry. I'm the oldest son of uh, eight children, which uh, has a uh, with great power comes great responsibility, you know. And uh, with the being the oldest one of eight, it, it meant that when I when I was in trouble, when something happened between me and my sister, most of the time when we were fighting with each other, and uh, there'd be big arguments and big scraps and stuff like that. My dad, eventually, he would come trying to split the two of us up. And he would always say this to me and not to her. Alan, you're older. What do you think he said after that? You should know better, right? Alan, you're older. You should know better. And that just used to drive me mad because she was only three years difference, you know? I mean, she was six months, but still. Uh, sure. Um, not not the, uh, the youngest of the, the girls. He's... Uh, He's 14, so if I was to argue with her, my dad said, Alan, you should know better. It, you know, it kind of makes a bit of sense now, being, being 20 years difference between us. Um, but this is really what we're going to look at tonight, uh, this this morning in, in Romans chapter 2, this idea of, uh, of with this this knowledge that they have of God's law, they should they should have known better. Um, now, we're in this section of Romans, which is an unpopular section. It's As Matt's been saying, I've been saying, this isn't the section that's going to make us popular as we preach through this pas- these passages. But remember... What we're looking at is Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, the power of God in salvation is the gospel, right? The, the gospel is saving souls. It is, it is saving Jews and it's saving Gentiles. It's saving everybody. Anyone who trusts in Christ can be saved. And so Paul imagines this question then, what do I need to be saved from? Uh, what, does it, what does it mean to be saved? What, what, what is that? What, why do I need salvation? And so the, this next section that we're in really is Paul showing the nations and the Jews, this is why you need Jesus. This is why you need salvation. This is why you needed Christ to die and rise again for you. So we're in Romans chapter 2, verse 12 to verse 24 this morning. And what we're looking at here is that God is fair in how he judges. God is fair. Um, And I hope to show you that by the end of this passage. God is exactly fair in how he judges you. Um... And this is why you need Jesus. So you're not judged by Christ, or by, by, by God for your sins. So let's look into it. And, and the first thing we're looking at in verse 12 to verse 13 is this summary statement. Paul makes a summary statement. And then after he makes this summary, he goes on to explain it and, and build on what he's been saying. So verse 12 to 13, summary. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So very simply, what we're seeing here in this summary statement is the first point is this. God's judgment is based on your knowledge of the law. Okay, God will judge each person based on their knowledge of the law. Um, so if you, don't have the, if you don't have the law, then God will still judge you, but based on what you know. And if you did have the law, God would judge you based on that. So... It, in other words, Alan, you should know better. You've been you've been taught by us longer to know these things that you've uh, disobeyed us in fighting with your sister. So that's the first thing. God will judge us based on the knowledge we have of the law. The second thing then in verse 13 is God will judge us based on our practice of the law. So it's not just about knowing the law. It's about actually obeying the law, right? So God's going to judge us based on this. So if you think back to, I'm going to use some stories of Jesus in this message. But think back to when Jesus is speaking to the people in Capernaum, right? 
and they've seen all these different miracles that Jesus has performed, all the like all, all up in Galilee, all these different miracles, and they don't believe that he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's the one who's coming. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it is for you. Okay, so Sodom and Gomorrah, you know the stories from Genesis 18. Um, the sins that they were committing, everyone in Israel, like, they, that's the worst sin you could ever commit. They're definitely going to hell. And Jesus says, no, your judgment's worse than what Sodom and Gomorrah are going to receive. Why? Because they had more information. These people who were watching Jesus, they had more knowledge of God's law. They had the prophets. They had Jesus present. And yet they still rejected God and still walked away from him. So so God judges us based on our knowledge of the law and based on our practice of the law. So let's let's build on what Paul means here then. And uh, the second point for this morning is Paul then goes to the people who don't have the law. Uh, what about those nations without the law? How, how are they going to be judged by God? Um, and the idea is this, like, um, I've heard this said, you, you maybe have heard it said when you're talking to people, why can God send people to hell who've never heard of Jesus? That's not fair, right? That's what people say. And how can they, how can he send people who are, um, who are far off in, say, jungles who've just never heard this message before? That's not fair for God to send those people to hell. And what Paul's trying to argue here is, but they, they, there's something that they do know, and there's something that they're doing which makes them guilty, okay? Is that, is that all right? There's something that they do know, and that there's something that they're doing that still makes them guilty before God, although less guilty than those who know the law. So let's, let's build on that. The, the, and in verse 14, it says, The Gentiles, which means the nations, that's you and me who are not Jews, the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. And these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. So what's being said here? What what it's said, what Paul's arguing here in verse 14 is the nations obey the law in part. They, they obey the law in part. They, he says, although they don't have this Genesis to Deuteronomy, they don't have the written word of God. What they do have is something that's going on inside of their hearts that's saying this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And they live that out. And you go all across the world today in the 21st century and you see there's everyone has a moral code, don't they? You go anywhere. There's no one in this world who doesn't have a moral code. Um, even like the worst criminals have moral codes for how they should treat one another, for example. And so they know what's right and they know what's wrong and they practice what's right in part. So the Gentiles don't have the written law of God, but by nature they still do it. They still live by certain aspects of the law they're still moral in different ways for some reason some of them know it like they, they know it's wrong to lie they know it's wrong to steal and they might do it sometimes but they still have us this thing that tells them uh, that it's wrong to do it and they're a law to themselves and verse 15 tells us why that's the case so they they kind of practice the law paul says these gentiles how come they've never they've never heard the law but they kind of practice the law and verse 15 says they show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So it says here, what Paul said is the nations have the law in part. So the nations obey the law in part, and the nations have the law in part in verse 15. What Paul's saying here in this verse is God has written 
his law in the hearts of men. Every human being who is ever created uh, has been wired to know that there's such a thing as right and wrong, right? They, they know that intrinsically there's such a thing as right and wrong. And uh, even if they don't have the, the, the Bible, there's this conscience, it's called. The word conscience means to, ha- to be with knowledge, to be with knowledge, conscience, with knowledge. And so every human being has this knowledge that they're doing what's wrong. And uh, even those who reject God have a conscience, uh, this thing that's stirring in their hearts and carrying them and saying, this is the wrong way to go and this is the right thing to do. And, and Paul says in verse 15 that they're also accusing or excusing one another. They have moral codes within society uh, of how they judge one another and dictate what's right and wrong. And Paul's basically saying, I mean, I know they're sinful, I know they're wayward, but in some ways, some of the stuff that they're doing is consistent with what God would have them do. Why? Because God has created man and woman to know what's what's right and wrong. So this is how this is Paul arguing the case that God has put it in every man and every woman and every person to know the difference between right and wrong. He's given them a conscience. And so they might not have Genesis to Deuteronomy. They might not have the written word of God, but they have something written in their hearts. And God's going to judge them based on that. Okay? So we get to verse 16, and we see that the nations are going to be judged then. Um, So verse 16 is following from verse 12. Verse 12 and 16 go together. Uh, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law, down to verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So Paul is telling us here that and it's, again, this isn't the pretty part of Romans. Like, no one's, no one, we're not, we should be thrilled at this part as we're reading it. It's, this is heavy, right? But, but what Romans is telling us here, what Paul's saying here is, those who don't have the Bible, in this world, who don't have the Bible, they're going to be judged by God according to what they do know. All right? So they're not going to be, you should have known that these things, so there's a time where I was in Morocco, and I was driving in Morocco, and I took a U-turn, and I didn't know that U-turns were illegal in Morocco, okay? Uh, so I got stopped by the police in Morocco. I don't speak a word. I didn't speak any Arabic at the time. And uh, and I'm uh, he's asking for my passport. He's asking for everything, and he's shouting at me in Arabic. I'm like, sorry, sorry. I don't know. Smahali, That's all I know to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And uh, he's doing this to me. I'm like, and uh, eventually there was a translator came to me and I, and I just said, I didn't know that that was the law. I didn't know it was the law, right? I, I, did, I, I didn't intentionally break it. I, I didn't know. And so I, I broke it in ignorance. And uh, so the policeman was like, okay, you're, a, you're Irish. That's totally understandable. Uh, you know, like away, away you go. So I, I kind of, I, I got, I still had to, there was some things I had to do to be okay. Um, but there was a bit more lenience for me because I didn't know the law. Does that make sense? I, there was lenience for me because I didn't know the law. I was still guilty. I, I was still punished a little bit, just not as severely as I would have been. But there was lenience because I didn't know the law. But he did say, what he, so I had to pay like some money rather than the book fee. I had to pay a little bit of a fee. Still, it was okay. But he did say, you might not know the law, but you still broke the law. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> He's like, you, you didn't know it, but you but you still broke it. So there still has to be a, a penalty, a fee for you. I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's what Paul's arguing here. Like they, they don't have the written 
code of God. They don't have the written law, but the, without their Bibles, they still have the law written in their hearts and they're going to be judged by that. That's what they'll be judged by. What they know, they'll be judged by. And uh, so, so God will still punish, but based on what they know. And verse 16 says, he will judge the secrets of man, the secrets of man. What's, why is he saying that for? And what, what Paul's trying to demonstrate here is we, we often put on a good show in front of other people. We're very good at playing the part. And he's going to get to the Jews who are doing that in a little bit. We're very good at playing the part. We're, we put on the big masks and we act the part in front of all the good people. But Paul says he's not going to judge you based on your performance in front of others. He judges you based on the secret sins, the stuff you do in private, the stuff you do when no one's watching. The, the way you cheat on tax forms and what you scroll through on the internet. And he, he judges you on that stuff. And, and the, the intentions of the heart, the things that you're thinking that are not right, the secret conversations you have, the, the gossip and the slander and the backbiting, he judges you on that. He judges you on your motives and why you did the things that you do. Um, so it's pretty heavy, right? This is heavy stuff. And so these people who don't have God's written law will be judged according to what they know and according to what they've done. Is that, that's fine. According to what they know and what they've done. That's why God judges. And God is fair to do that. He knows the hearts of men. He knows everything we've done. He knows when we're worthy of judgment. And so God will judge the people without the law based on that. But Paul's trying to get to the law. He's trying to get to the people who do have the law in verse 17 to verse 24. Because the people who have the law, in this case, it was the Jewish people they thought they were great because they had the law. So they're like, we're fine. You, you know, those people who don't have the law, they're the ones that are in trouble. We have the law, so we're okay. We're, we're going to be all right. We've got the law. So he's going to deal with these now. The nation with the law. And what we're going to see here in verse 12, uh, 17 to 24 is 5, 4, 3, 2. Um, five things that they rest on is the first thing we're going to see. Five things they rest on. The first one is in verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew. You are called a Jew. And what, what Paul's getting at here is these people were proud to do to say that. Proud to call themselves that. We are, we are the people of God. We are the Jewish people. I am part of the people of God. I am one of the privileged ones. Um, and so you could be proud to be English. John's a bit ashamed to be Welsh right now after the rugby score yesterday. I'm proud to be Irish as a result. But these people, they were proud to be Jews. I'm a Jew, and I'm one of the privileged, chosen people of God. And they were boasting in that, that, that I'm a Jew. I'm okay. Okay, I've done a few bad things, but I'm okay because I'm a Jew. The second thing in verse 17 is they rely on the law. It says they rest on the law. And what Paul's getting at here is we have the law, therefore we're okay. We have the five books of Moses, therefore we're fine. If you have it, you're okay. I'm, I am a Jew. I'm one of the people of God. And I have God's revelation given to me. So I'm okay. Verse 17 again. The third point, they make their boast in God. They boast in God. Um, because in the Old Testament, God is our God. The true God. He's ours. We are the people of the true God. These false gods you worship, we don't worship those false gods. We worship the one true God. So we're fine. Verse 18, the, the fourth point, they know his will. They know his will. We know what God wants us to do. You guys are walking in ignorance. You Gentiles, you nations, you don't know what God wants. You're, you're ignorant of what God wants, but we know what God wants. 
We have the writings of Moses and the prophets, and we know what God wants us to do. You don't have a clue. And then finally, number five, the fifth thing is they approve the things that are excellent. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know what is best in each situation. You see, the Jewish people had rules upon rules upon rules. They had rules for how you left the house. They had rules for exactly how far you could walk on a Sabbath day. They had rules about every single detail of life. We know exactly what to do in every situation is what this means here. We know the best thing to do in every situation. So there you go. We're Jews. We're the people of God. We have the law. We know what he wants. We know what is best. And so they're boasting in these five things. And then number, the, the second point we see is there's four false claims. So there's five false rests and there's four false claims. So we see this in verse 19 to 20. In verse, the first point, verse 19, you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. We are, we are the ones who can see. We Jews are the ones who can see. And you Gentiles are the ones who are walking around blind. And we have the privilege of guiding you along, you little blind people. You, you fools, we can, we can guide you along in your blindness. Again, in verse 19, you are a light to those who are in darkness. Again, this is the Gentiles. The Gentiles, you're the ones who are in darkness. We're the ones who have the light of God. And we are the ones who are going to give you the light of God. And you're like, but that's surely that's a good thing to guide the blind. And it's a good thing to be light in darkness, right? And it goes on. It's, the, the next point, you're an instructor of the foolish. Again, the foolish ones were the Gentiles. They didn't know God. They didn't know his will. They didn't know what he wanted. And so we are the ones who will instruct you in the ways of God. And then finally, you are a teacher of babes. The babes, the children, of course, being the Gentiles. And we are the adults. We are the mature ones. And again, why is that wrong? Why is it wrong to teach the, the ones who are uh, less knowledgeable and the ones who are blind? Because... What was happening was they were very proud of that position. Because we're meant to be a light to the... We're, Jesus says, you're a light. You know, you're a city on a hill. You're a light to the world. Go be a light. Go teach the nations. Go share. But you're meant to do this with an attitude of deep humility. Like, man, if it wasn't for Christ, we would be blind. If it wasn't for how good God is to us, we would be fools, right? But what was happening was the Jews were... It says they were confident in this. This was their, we are, we, they were puffed up with this attitude of, we are the superior ones and you're the fools. We are the ones who can see and you're the blind ones. And sadly, you hear that um, even in the 21st century of how, uh, this idea of people looking down on other people. I feel like you're looking down. At, you, you, you ever hear the expression holier than thou? Right? So that's not a nice expression, is it? You're acting all holier than I. You're like, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that means you're, you're behaving in a prideful, obnoxious way. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, you're confident in this. So you're resting in the fact that you have the law and that, you, and that you're one of the people of, the, of God. And you think you're the, this great teacher of all these different nations. But then we get to the real crux of the problem, the real issue of the heart in 21 to 22, where we see three false deeds so five false rests four false claims and three false deeds so look at this verse 21 you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself you who preach 
that a man should not steal. Do you steal? He's, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, you do steal. You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Paul is saying here, you boast that you have the law and you teach other people the law, but you're not even keeping the law yourself. You're not obedient. You boast that you know what God wants you to do and you teach other people what God wants you to do, but you are not doing what God wants you to do. And therefore you're guilty in the sight of God. Because Paul's trying to help them see it's not about knowing the law. It's about doing the law. And you're not doing it. So we see three things here. It says, you're stealing. And think about Jesus as he accuses the Pharisees. He says, you devour the money of widows by making long prayers. You, you make this big, long, obnoxious, unnecessary prayer and then charge money for it. Shame on you, he said. You steal from those women, he says. The widows are the needy people in that generation, and you're stealing from them. Think about how Jesus was in the temple, and he flipped the tables because they're making profit from the sacrifices of God. Think about how Jesus accuses them of stealing from their parents because they could just say, poor, this money belongs to God, so I don't have to look after my, my poor parents with it. He says, you're, you're thieves in all of this. Jesus says, you, you teach not to commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. And perhaps some of them were actually committing physical adultery. But again, think about what Jesus says. Whoever looks at a woman with lust commits adultery with her in the heart. You're guilty. You're guilty. And then he goes on to say, you rob temples, or it could be translated, you commit sacrilege. You take holy things and you treat them as profane. You take the holy things of God and you throw them in the dust. Such as turning the house of prayer into a den of thieves. Some believe also that they were making profit out of certain seals that they knew would lead to idolatry. Like someone saying, you shouldn't gamble, but then they run a gambling firm. Or you shouldn't drink, but then they run a pub. You're like, this, the blatant hypocrisy of that is ridiculous. And he's saying, this hypocrisy that you guys have is unbelievable that you would teach this stuff and yet practice the very stuff you're saying not to do. And Paul's saying, that's what you're going to be judged by. You're not going to be judged by if you're a Jew or not. You're not going to be judged by if you know the law or not. You're not going to be judged by the fact that you can teach it or not. You're going to be judged by the fact that you do it or not. That's what you'll be judged by. And all this leads to this this claiming to be a Jew, this teaching all of this stuff, and this breaking all of God's law leads to two things. So 5, 4, 3, 2. And we see those two results in verse 23 to 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? You dishonor God. You claim to be loyal to God. We are the Jewish people. We are the people of the one true God. And you claim that, but your very actions deny that loyalty. Or again, back to what Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but what? But your heart is far from me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And Paul's just going off of what Jesus said. So they're dishonoring the Lord, but also verse 24 says, they're causing the name of God to be blasphemed among the Gentiles. Because what's happening is 
they're claiming this reputation. They're walking around uh, throughout the empire of Rome, claiming this reputation. We are the holy people of the one true God. We are the chosen people of the one true God. But they're, that's, that's what they think the reputation is. We are the privileged ones. We are the elite force. We are the teachers of the blind. But their actual reputation among the nations is one of dishonesty and hypocrisy. And so not only are you despised by the nations, but as a result, God is now despised among the nations because of you. Isn't that tragic? Isn't it tragic in the 21st century as well that sometimes when you're trying to share the gospel with uh, someone who's not a Christian and they start to say something like, but those Christians dot, dot, dot. Man, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that you have to undo what, uh, what what have happened, or or you go back into the past, and you think about all the horrible things that were done in the name of Jesus in the past. You think about the crusades, you think about the awful things that happened in Ireland, all in the name of God. And it causes his name to be blasphemed because it's guilt by association, right? If 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 you're one of the people of God and you're behaving this way, what type of God would that be? And that's the attitude that's being brought across through these through the nations here. Paul is trying to tell them, you will be judged by the law. So let's go back to verse 13, and then we'll wrap it up here. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. The doers of the law will be justified. Those who perfectly obey God, the word justified means made righteous. Those who perfectly obey God are the righteous ones. So, how are you doing? Are you perfectly obeying God? That's the only way to be righteous. To be the one who perfectly obeys God. Only they will be justified. And what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to bring the Jewish people and the Gentiles into equal position of saying, we are doomed. We are, we are condemned. We need help. That's what he's trying to do. Because, he, because the Gentiles... By this point, because of chapter one, they're pretty convinced we need help. <laughs> but the Jewish people are looking at the Gentiles like, yeah, they need help. They need help. Them. And Paul's like, no, but you. No, them. And Paul's like, no, you. Listen. And for the next few chapters, and Matt's going to be doing it next week as well, he's trying to persuade them, you also need help. And he's bringing them to this place where they are on level pegging Jews and Gentiles, looking at each other like, we need help. What, what are we going to do? And then at the end of chapter 3, Paul's going to be saying, but God, but Christ, okay? So let, let's wrap it up here. Number one, uh, the, the, therefore in 24 stuff, number one, more knowledge equals more accountability. More knowledge means more accountability. The more you know, the more accountable you are before God is what Paul's trying to argue here. The more you know. So those who are sinning, um, in the jungles and in the deserts who don't know this stuff, they're still guilty, but they're less accountable because they're, they don't have it all. And those who know are more accountable. So the people of Britain, the 21st century British person, is more accountable to God because they have so much access to this stuff, to what God calls them to do, to the gospel. More, but also what he's trying to say is the Jewish person who has the law and the prophets, and the writings, they are accountable before God more than the nations. So more knowledge equals more accountability. The second point 
then that we are going to look at this this morning is that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We all we all need him. Um, so again, let me finish at verse 13. And we have to preach the gospel, even though it's going to get to chapter 3, but we're going to preach it here as well. Um, only the doers of the law are righteous before God. Okay? Not the ones who know it. Not the ones who attend church every Sunday. Not the ones who know their Bibles. The perfect doers of the law. The ones who have perfectly obeyed every commandment of God in thought, in, in deed, in word, and in attitude. Yeah? Only they are righteous before God. Amen. Okay. Well, so be good this week and we'll see you, see you next Sunday. All right. So, and that's why Christ had to come. When Jesus Christ was born on this earth and as a little baby, fully God and fully man, and he grew up into a man from, from infant to toddler to teenager to young adolescent to young man. And he grew up through all of that. And for all those years, he perfectly obeyed the law he perfectly obeyed the law yeah so he and, and he obeyed it in thought he obeyed it in word he obeyed it in deed and he obeyed it from the heart and it says god judges the secrets and the secrets of the heart of jesus is i love my father and i want to obey him in everything i do right so that's what jesus that's how he lived his life and then when he was placed on the cross after being tortured for hours and placed on the cross and then every single time that you did not perfectly obey the law, every single time that you broke the law, every time that you broke the law willingly and flagrantly and stubbornly in thought, in word, in deed, in attitude, was being heaped up on the person of Jesus Christ. And then the, the wrath of God, the wrath that you deserve, the judgment of God that I deserve and you deserve, was placed on Jesus Christ instead of upon you. And Jesus was being your sin bearer. He was taking your punishment. He was taking what you deserve on that day. I was just thinking last, last night that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, Thy will be done because of every single time you and I have looked God in the face, metaphorically speaking, and said, My will be done. I will live my way. I will do what I want. I will think what I want to think and say what I want to say and feel what I want to feel. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Lord, your will be done for me. The my will be done. So on the cross, the last words of Jesus, it is paid for. It is finished. It is done to tell us that. Right? Victoria and I, as you know, we're buying this house and um, we've got like, 75 years of debt to pay off now for the mortgage 20, 20 welcome to 2024 and uh one day we old decrepit man alan campbell comes up i'll have no hair at that point and i'll come up and i'll pay my last mortgage payment and at the end of it all i'll get this piece of paper said paid in full paid for and when jesus was on the crops and he said the word it is finished that's what it meant paid in full so he dies, three days later he comes to life again, and anyone, Jew or Gentile, moral, upstanding citizens, so they think, or the worst of society, who says to Christ, nothing in my hands I bring. I am I am sinner before you. I have broken your law. I have lived the life of my will be done. I am I have not perfectly obeyed. 
I haven't obeyed at all. Please forgive me based on what you've done. And you know what the Bible says will happen to you? You will be justified. You will be made righteous. You will be made good. You will be made holy. You will be cleansed from every sin you've ever committed in thought, word, deed, and attitude. So there's only two ways to be righteous before a holy God. Number one, perfectly obey the law in every single way. So if you're still doing that, keep it up. All the best to you. Hopefully you keep on. And the only other way is to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Amen.